back with Drafting Archetypes, and this week I'm going to be discussing green-black in Lord of the Rings Limited. As always, the notes are available to follow along at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes for appropriate patrons. Check that out if you're interested. Black-green is the best performing green archetype because black is the best color, but it is worse performing than all non-green archetypes because green is the worst color. Green has a couple of different factors going against it. Uh, notably, its cards aren't very good. More specifically, it's the shallowest color at common. There are about eight good green commons and around 11 to 13 good commons in each of the other colors out of 19 commons in each color. And there are also fewer good green uncommons and fewer good green rares then there are cards in most of the other colors at those rarities. So the issue with there, you know, being eight good green commons instead of 12 good green commons isn't really necessarily a deal breaker because green is drafted sufficiently less than the other colors that I think you actually end up seeing more, you know, good to playable green commons than you do good to playable commons in most other colors. This is going to be a function of like your exact seat and table, and there will probably be some color that is open enough that you'll see better commons in that color than you will in green uh, in an average draft. But green is most likely to be open enough that it's more likely that you'll see, you know, just going into a draft, I would expect to see more like top eight green commons than top 12 commons of any other color. But the problem is because there aren't very many, if any, really good rares or uncommons in green, you're, by drafting green, decreasing your chances of uh, high power level spikes in those, like, you know, good uncommons and rares that you see in your open color. Unless your green deck is prepared to splash, which green can do pretty easily. So you basically need to do that. Because if you draft green and you don't prepare to splash, then you're not setting yourself up to capitalize on uh, very many of the powerful cards that you might see later in the draft. And that's going to put you at a significant disadvantage. So your green deck probably wants to prioritize fixing so that you're in a position to splash some of the strong cards that you see later in the draft. Once you're doing that, at that point, you're like back to reasonably competitive in the format. You have sufficient density of playable commons. You have the ability to play stronger cards at higher rarity, but now you're splashing. So your mana, even if you have like sufficient fixing to make it work, is going to be a little less smooth than like a two-color uh, deck in an open lane that doesn't include green. So I'm still not looking to draft green in this format. It's just that if for some reason I'm in a seat that kind of demands green or I feel like I'm getting significantly rewarded for being green... These are kind of the things that I want to be thinking about going in, in terms of how to like mitigate any disadvantages, structural disadvantages that green has in the format. With 
That understood, in addition to prioritizing fixing, you're also going to want to prioritize tempt. Tempt is generally good when you're splashing because it helps you find your missing colors of mana or discard splash cards that you can't cast. And also, if you have, you know, some cards in your deck that are a lot better than others, uh, Tempt helps find them. The biggest problem with green, given that, is that it's not really as good at tempting as most of the other colors. Fortunately, black is very good at tempting. So if you're in a spot where you can be green-black, you should really be prioritizing tempt mechanic, and then you can take, you know, the good black cards that you see and splash the other good cards that you see and have green to do whatever it is that the draft is uh, suggesting you should do with your green cards. I think that part of the issue with green's, like, win rate on 17 lands is that I think that there are pretty strictly, like, eight and a half commons that you want to play. And I think a lot of people play commons that are outside of that list and that that brings down the average win rate of green decks collectively. So I think that kind of like the most important thing to know for any green deck is just that the only commons you should really be looking at are full list. Enraged Horn, the five mana, four, five, uh, trample tempt creature and fury the two mana sorcery fight spell that gives your creature plus one plus one and if it has four more power it gives it a plus one plus one counter and it fights something generous ent the forest cycler the five seven reach that makes a food woe's pathfinder the two mana one one that can tap for a man of any color and can also pump a creature for seven mana bag and porter the four four dwarf that gets bigger for all of your legendary creatures when it attacks Mirror Mirror Guardian, the 4-2 Dwarf that tempts when it dies for 3 mana. Many Partings, the um, land, the card that green, search for a basic, uh, make a food. And then, in a pinch, you can play some Mirkwood Spiders and maybe even Mushroom Watchdogs, but uh, you should really try to avoid those. If you're not seeing enough of those particular green commons, and you need to play other green commons to make your deck work, you shouldn't be in green. Green is not open enough to justify drafting it, and you should like get out if it looks to be going that way, or really you should be drafting in such a way that you would never get put into green when it's not open enough that you can take those cards. I suppose uh, on that note, sometimes I talk about what things will uh, put you into a color combination. For example, in green-black, I think one of the uh, things that's most likely to put you into green-black is Old Man Willow, uh, the green-black gold uncommon with power and toughness equal to the number of lands you control. You can sacrifice a creature or token to give something minus two, minus two until end of turn uh, when it attacks. That is the best performing green-black gold card in the set ahead of even Shelob, the 8-8 uh, spider. And uh, it's, it's strong enough that you could hypothetically, you know, uh, take it like if green were better in general i think that it would be a card that you would often consider first picking in practice i think that it's not a card that you should be looking to take first pick first pack i'm more interested in pivoting into green uh if i see a card like old man willow something like fourth pick and i think 
similar philosophy applies to any good green card. I'm not looking to take a green card in a spot where I might have to fight over green or I haven't figured out what other colors might be open or something. But if I start out somewhere and my lane looks not super open and there are premium green cards uh, going a little bit later in pack one, then I think you're in a pretty good spot to consider pivoting into green. And that's where you want to know which green cards to look for. And knowing which green cards to look for is important because theoretically in that spot, you'll have an opportunity to take a lot of the different green cards because whatever green cards are open will get passed to you. And as long as you take the right ones, uh, you should be able to have a reasonable deck. Given that I think that you want to be prioritizing Tempt, I think it's noteworthy that given that you're prioritizing both Tempt and Splashing, that uh, if you're in green-black, you should really look to position yourself to uh, take and want uh, Inherited Envelope, the three-mana artifact that taps for a man of any color and tempts when it enters, because that'll let you splash and it'll give you another Tempt card that goes pretty late. But if you know that that's something that you're looking for, um, you really want to draft a curve that uses that card well, meaning you want to have a lot of two mana spells and some five mana spells and not a lot of three and four mana spells. And if you can have uh, one mana um, spells that are good to cast on turn three, even even better. That's something that you can be thinking about before you actually see or draft the envelope is anticipating that you're uh, reasonably likely to be in a spot where you want it and uh, taking cards accordingly. Similarly, I would prioritize the uh, creature land cyclers really highly so that you can also prioritize Sam's Desperate Rescue, uh, which is the uh, raised dead that tempts black return a creature from your graveyard to your hand tempt. And then you can also take advantage of Rise of the Witch King, the uncommon that both players sacrifice a creature. And if you sacrificed a creature, you can return a creature. So you can... Uh, cycle a, land, a big creature into the graveyard early, play a little creature that doesn't matter, and then rise and uh, get your big creature back and kill one of their creatures. You really want to be in a spot where your rises and Sam's Desperate Rescues are going to be really good in your green-black decks because, uh, you know, rise is a green-black gold card, so uh, you're reasonably likely to see it and want it, you know, for an uncommon and Sam's Desperate Rescue is an important part of uh, having enough tempt. And you, you really can only use those cards if you have a good number of land cycling creatures. So you want to prioritize the troll and um, the ent uh, very, very highly, um, just so that you can find and use those other cards uh, throughout the draft. In addition to the fact that, you know, if you're playing envelopes or you're playing uh, Woe's Pathfinders, then you're more likely to get six mana more frequently and more quickly. And then uh, having those six mana creatures to cast is also very good. So even if you don't end up getting Rise of the Witch King and Desperate Rescues, or in a pinch, don't look for it really, but it could happen if you have enough land cyclers that you might also want to play Revive the Shire. But even if you're not doing any of that stuff, the land cyclers are still going to be good. Uh, if it's pack three and you think that you're not going to end up with that stuff, most of the time you still want to be prioritizing land cyclers just because of uh, 
the fact that they're good cards and the kind of power that they offer is very much the kind of power that uh, Green Black wants. To explain that a little bit further, let's get into what I think Green Black is doing structurally. So structurally, you are what I call a big proactive deck, uh, meaning that you have creatures, those creatures want to attack, and those creatures are generally larger than the creatures you would expect your opponent to have. You're not really a control deck in that you don't necessarily expect to have inevitability against everyone, but you're also not like necessarily an aggro deck in that against opposing aggressive decks and creature decks, you're planning to block more than you're planning to attack. This is to say that you're what I think is most frequently called mid-range, but I like the terming big proactive because it, I think... Mid-range is less descriptive. Uh, it's just kind of like, okay, you're in the middle, but what middle of what and what does that mean? Whereas uh, big proactive, I feel like, tells you, like, okay, attacking is a thing that I'm trying to do. I expect my creatures to be larger than my opponents, whatever. So because you're big, your cards... Uh, generally are going to be more impactful one-to-one -one than your opponent's cards. That fact means that you prefer a small game. You can think of this just in terms of, well, if we're both down to one thing and it's last card standing, who's more likely to have the better last card? You can also think of it in terms of, like, if I play a big game, what happens? We both end up with a bunch of creatures in play. Now, I have a 4-4 four, four, and you have a 3-3, three, three, or something along those lines, because my creatures are a little bit bigger. But if I have, you know, three four fours and you have three three threes, it's not as good for me as if I have one four four and you have one three three. Because if I try to attack you with my four fours, you can double block with your three threes and I trade down. So the smaller the game is, the less double blocking is going to invalidate the advantage that you have from having larger creatures. So in general, being big proactive means wanting a small game, which means that you want to pri uh, highly prioritize removal. All of that helps to explain why, for example, Torment of Gollum, the four mana sorcery that lets you look at your opponent's hand, make them discard a card, and amass two, is actually the best performing common on 17 lands in green-black. Generally, claim... Um, Claim the Precious, the black removal spell, uh, is the best performing black common overall. And in green-black, you might expect that that would still be true, because I just said you want to play a small game, a removal spell lets you do that. You know, both 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 Claim the Precious and Torment of Golem are very, very, very much where you want to be in green-black. Torment of Golem gets some extra value from the fact that Woe's Pathfinder can allow you to cast it on three, Blue-Black does the same thing with Pelgrish Survivor, the 1-3 mana creature, but Green-Black can also uh, take advantage of that. And regardless, Torment of Golem, good. Claim of Precious, also good. Uh, anything that lets you just efficiently exchange one-to-one -one your resources for your opponents, Torment of Golem isn't even doing that, right? You're theoretically uh, spending your card to answer their card, and then you also have a 2-2, so... That card is like going toward a small game, but also giving you extra value, which is what you want in a small game. The card is synergistic with itself, um, which is a silly phrase, but kind of applies. 
So that's kind of how you should be thinking about the deck is expect your cards to outclass your opponent's cards one for one, but you're not going to have all that much like raw card advantage, which can lead you to not necessarily being in a spot where you should expect to have inevitability, especially against some of the blue decks. So you want to look to close the game. You want to keep the board small so that you can attack, so that you can close the game. So you want to prioritize the removal that you can where possible, uh, and then take like big creatures that block well, and then of course prioritize fixing and tempt so that you can splash whatever random powerful cards you see. I think it's kind of as simple as that. A lot of the stuff that's relevant here is similar to stuff that I've already talked about with multicolor green. The same green commons are just the good green commons and uh when you're like playing those things like green just doesn't have enough good cards to get pulled in different strategic directions green just kind of does the thing that like this small subset of green cards does and black's thing i guess is that it's kind of generically and versatilely good like I talked about uh, in the first episode of uh, the podcast for this format, I talked about red-black and how it was kind of like good at all stages of the game and could kind of do whatever. And I th so I think that like while black isn't necessarily a support color in the sense of like you play few black cards and a lot of cards of your other color, though it's increasingly getting to be that way as black is more heavily drafted, I think that like because like the nature of the black cards is not that they are very strategically restricted like everyone wants you know kill a creature get tempt uh basically everyone can use like make a 2-2 make your opponent discard a card and similarly like donland Curbane, um the 1-1 one -one flyer that amasses two it you know offers something to every deck so black is support in that like Whatever your other color wants to be doing is going to more strongly determine what your deck does than like the fact that it's black. That's that's basically it. Again, just to reiterate, I think the most important part of drafting green is to both try not to do it, but also not to refuse to do it. Probably. <laughs> I think you stand to lose more by drafting green too much than by drafting green too little. But I do think that there is a right amount of openness to green that is not zero. But I do think that like, if your algorithm involves almost never taking a green card pack one, pick one, you are unlikely to be deeply punished for that. But I do think that a card like Arwen, the uh, green-white mythic, is a card that you would be better off not passing and it's worth like knowing how to draft green to use that card uh that card should slightly push you into green white but it really doesn't matter you can be green anything and splash it and not committing to two colors off the bat is better than locking into a single two color lane but most of the time you should think of like green as a color that you switch into when it's wide open. And something that I've been doing more of is 
where there's a card that's not very high upside for a lane that I'm in early in a draft, and there is a relatively premium green card uh, in the like pick four to six type range, speculate on that green card and note the good green cards that you pass in your first two or three packs. And then if the best green cards that you passed in pack one come back to you, then you're in a spot where you should probably pivot. And if the best couple of green cards didn't come back, then you know to just not pay any attention to those cards that you picked up and to stay in the not green place that you were in. But I think that given how underdrafted green is, it's pretty often going to be the case that somewhere between, say, picks five and seven, there will be a pack that's like not very good for you, but still has a strong green card. And I think that there's a lot of potential to taking that card and just keeping an eye on green and seeing if you want to pivot into green. As long as, again, you understand which green cards are good and what you're looking to do with a green deck and that you're in a space that can reasonably pivot into that. For example, if you have like a good amount of tempt in any secondary color, uh, that would be something that would make it more likely that I would be in a spot where I felt like I could pivot into green. So with that, I'm going to wrap up my intro discussion and turn it over to uh, Twitch chat. This is the spot where I thank the newest patrons. Unfortunately, new, no new patrons this week. If you would like to give me if you'd like to hear me read your name next week, uh, go to patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. In addition to uh, getting your name read on the podcast, you will have my gratitude and uh, also some tangible perks for you. Um, and you can find the details on those things uh, by checking out patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. Do you ever start in green and then end up in green-black? Again... I think that you should very rarely start in green. So uh, it can happen, but very rarely should. Uh, to me, it feels like you'll always start by uh, start in black, picking the uh, great commons, and then get to green stuff later. Yes, that, that's basically how I'm suggesting it should usually go. Uh, you should start by taking like the good cards, wherever they are. They're very rarely green. And then look for an open lane that doesn't involve green, but sometimes green is going to be like the only place you're supposed to be. And then you end up in whatever you were plus green. But yeah, like I said, green is usually going to be you pivot into. How good is Rise of the Witch King? I've been playing it a couple times with the right land cycling support, uh, but the turn four troll rarely wins me the game. Yeah, I don't think Rise of the Witch King is good. Uh, or is, sorry, not I don't think it's good. I don't think it's great. I think it's like playable with the right support. Uh, you want to both have, you know, the land cycling stuff and also creatures that are good to sacrifice. So Haunt or uh, Mortar Muster or some other Dunlin Curbane, uh some other like Amass type cards. Uh, you really would prefer not to be like losing a real creature to it. But, you know, th there are a lot of tokens in the format. So, um, you know, the, the situation where you sack a token and your opponent also sacrifices a token and you just get a reanimate, uh, you need that to be like an acceptable s situation. You can also look to play the Black Breath with it to help make sure that you're killing something real. You can also note that Rise is 
He returns permanence, not just creatures. So uh, while I haven't done it, it is another way to loop the bath song, something I'm keeping my eye out for but haven't had yet. But the answer, I mean, the answer is that it is, you know, no, it's no Old Man Willow. Um, it's like a playable green-black card, but you shouldn't, like, take it early as a reason to be green-black. How many lands are the usual amount for green-black? Same as everything in this format. 17 minus land cyclers, basically. Land cyclers and many partings. Do you think it's more dangerous to have too many lands or too few lands? This is a question about how much tempt you have. The more tempt you have, the more the danger is having too few lands. You know, if you're reliably going to get to attack, attack with a level 2 tempt creature at some point in the game, you can mitigate some of the concern about flooding. If you don't have a lot, then it might be better to air toward the low side on lands. But, I don't know, mostly I just, like, play 17 lands minus 1 for every card that finds a land, and then prioritize cards that cycle reasonably highly because many of them are good like cards that replace themselves, not have like the literal cycling mechanic. And my mana just tends to work out. How often are you green-black versus green-black X? Uh, like I said, I, I do think that you really want to be in a position to splash because I really do think that like you're not giving yourself access to enough good uncommons and rares in like green decks that aren't splashing. So I, I would expect that you have extra colors or cards of other colors more often than not how much more often i'm not sure about i did look through some trophy decks of green black decks but not a ton of them but i think i saw more that were splashing than weren't so that that also supports that theory yeah i i think green black in particular like green in general wants to splash and green black in particular it's very hard for me to imagine, like, finding a way to build green-black that's, like, so aggressive that splashing would be bad. And so it just seems like unless black is really open, then you're probably going to splash. All right, so I think I am going to wrap it up there. Like I said, I think it's a pretty straightforward archetype. Just understand your role and what you're looking for because i think that since you're drafting from such a small pool of cards that you're really looking for in green and then you're expecting it from multiple copies of that small number of cards that you're looking for it's very easy to anticipate the way that your deck is gonna end up before you necessarily have all of the uh, components for that and so i think that when drafting green in this set in general, maybe green black in particular, or maybe this applies to all green decks, you really want to take advantage of how predictable green is when it's open to draft expecting to have all the pieces that you're going to end up with so that you can plan for the rest of the draft rather than reacting to the rest of the draft. So I, I guess that would be the note that I'd want to leave you with there is just... You can kind of just choose the commons you would like to have and end up with roughly those and draft as if that's going to happen. So, yeah, there you have it. Um, that's green-black, and I'll be back next week for another archetype. Thanks for listening, and thank you uh, especially to 
those uh, watching live and contributing questions. And have a good week. And I'll be back one week from now. Bye. Prepare for light speed.